0: the Baseball Nostalgia 1869. This is another episode. We're going to be discussing the average numbers for the National Baseball Hall of Famers for shortstops this time around. And uh, a good episode in store for you guys. Uh, but again, today is uh, Jackie Robinson Day. It is the uh, 75th anniversary of him breaking the color barrier. Um, thanks to Branch Rickey, Sinem, uh, and he made his major league debut at, uh, at, at Ebbets Field. Um, back in 1947, and what a legendary career he had! He was inducted in the Hall of Fame back in 1962, and 124 out of the 160 ballots. He made his debut at Ebbets Field versus the uh, Boston Braves, uh, and he was heckled at racial slayers, And if you saw the movie 42, you saw the film that. He was heckled at by the opposing manager with the Philadelphia Phillies. That actually happened. He was shooting terribly um, when they went on the road. Couldn't sleep in the team hotel. He couldn't go to the restaurants. But he persevered. He was a trailblazer. And he passed away at the age of 53 on October twenty-fourth, 1972. He, he would be over 100 years old if he was still alive today. He would be 103. Uh, but, yeah, Jackie Robinson is a legend. And today, all 30 Major League teams will be in action today, and they will all be honoring him by wearing his 42 on the back and on their helmets and in the lineup card everywhere you'll see him. And it's a great day for Major League Baseball. Not only that, but they're going to be wearing the Royal Blue, the Dodger Royal Blue on the back of their jerseys, each team including the Dodgers, and it's going to be special. But, yeah, I wanted to put a little tidbit for uh, Jackie Robinson, um, arguably one of the greatest five-tool players He's maybe one of the greatest athletes ever. He was an amazing track star at UCLA. Uh, he was a he was a great great athlete, and uh, he paved the way for uh, breaking the car barrier. And then, not not only a couple uh, months later, he got Larry Dolby entered entered major league baseball, and he just, he became an amazing player for the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, and just an amazing professional player. Uh, he could steal, he could field, he could play. He won the MVP back in the nineteen fifties. Um, one of the greatest ball players. The league ever saw. Um, he won the MVP back in 1949. His his second for his second full season in the big leagues. He finished his career with a career 313 batting average. He won the batting title in 1949. He had 141 home runs, 761 driven in. He won the World Series championship in the second to last year in 1955. uh and he won the Rookie of the Year. And that's what they call it, the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year Award. Um. Again, his numbers retired at all teams. He was the uh Stolen base champ, he was the NL stolen base champion in 47 and 49. Um with six-time All-Star from nineteen forty-nine to nineteen fifty-four. Uh, and he is a legendary player. And unfortunately, we we lost him too soon, but he was a big important part of the civil rights movement. You saw him with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., him with Bill Russell in the nineteen sixties until his unfortunate passing at the age uh but, yeah, uh, Jackie Robinson, a legendary player, and yeah, so that's just Jackie Robinson, and I just kind of wanted to touch on him at the beginning of this episode because he's so important, and what he means to all the African-American players, It. It just means so much. Like, without him, there's no Ernie Banks. There is no Fergie Jenkins. There's no Tony Gwynn. There's no Satchel Paige. There is no... Ken Griffey Jr. Name, the list goes on and on. There's no... There is no... um. There's no African American managers. There's no African American MVP winners. There's no newcomers they're, they're, who won the Cy young. None of that comes to fruition. None of that happens. There's no African American general managers. Because of Jack Robinson, there's all this in Major League Baseball. Yes, should it be more integrated? I totally agree. But Major League Baseball is a great sport and it's very, very, very diverse. And you got to give Randy Tricky a lot credit. He got inducted in the Hall of Fame as an executive, as a pioneer, and he deserves to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. And. Major Baseball did such a great job of, it only took a long time to integrate to African-Americans, but they're so glad that they did that because the game is better for it. Now, with that being said, Jack Graber's we will be celebrated tomorrow, or today, and I'm just really looking forward to it. I'm going to my first official Guardians game today. Uh, first pitch is 7-10. They're playing the, San Francisco Giants, Tom Hanks, run at the first pitch. It'll be Zach Policek against Carlos Rodon, kind of a packed house at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. I'm really looking forward to it. The new rebrands coming alive. The Guardians are 4 and 2. They are really doing well after starting 0 1, 0 2 in the first two games, being outscored by three runs. They really kicked it into high gear and they uh, really, really, really scored 44 runs in the last four games. They're on an onslaught, and I'm really looking forward to seeing them in person for the first time since I saw them last year as the Indians when they beat the Royals at Progressive Field. Now, with all that being said, let's talk about these shortstops. You know, the shortstops, the man up the middle, probably the most important position on the diamond. I mean, historically speaking, probably the most important position. But when you think about it, most people think about, oh, yeah, Honus Wagner, the flying Dutchman. You know, he probably is the greatest shortstop because he had 3,420 hits. Eight NL batting titles, the most ever, tied with Tony Gwynn, who accomplished that feat in the late nineteen nineties. Six slugging percentage titles, and he led the Pittsburgh Pirates to win their first World Series back in and to win the World Series in nineteen oh nine over his eventual Hall of Fame classmate Ty Cobb and the Detroit Tigers in seven games. Now, again, shortstop not only have to be good contact hitters, but they also have to be one of the most. Defensive oriented players in the field with a lot of range and ability to get balls at the middle and turn double plays with their with their second second baseman combination. Six four three countable play ground ball hit double shortstop throw them to second baseman again they have to double that bag and they have to man up the middle. Their their position is probably besides catcher and pitcher probably the three most important positions in baseball and I probably first base up there too because just just because of how important because each play in the infield mainly go to first base so. But, yeah, it, it all started with, with Honus Wagner. We captured those eight batting titles every the 20th century uh, over a 12-year stretch from 1900 to 1911. Wagner drove in 100 runs in six times. Uh, he led the stolen bases on five occasions during that period. The only knock on the Flying Dutchman is his defense as he committed 676 errors as a shortstop. Uh, that's 10th most of the position in MLB history. It's not as bad as long, though. Uh, there's a guy named Long who has the most errors ever by a shortstop. I think it's over a thousand. Uh, it is Herman Long has over has 1,070 errors committed at shortstop. I mean, yes, was the uh, what was the one really really bad defensively? I totally agree. But fielding players weren't really good in the dead ball era because they weren't using gloves and their gloves weren't the best material. So I'm gonna give a little pass on that because the era was played differently at that. But if he played in today's era, I would assume his 600 errors would be laughed upon and frowned upon. But again, it's he was an amazing hitter. He'll be celebrated as an amazing hitter. And the metrics that were used at that time weren't the ones that we have today, so I'm not going to knock on him on that. Now, in the 1940s, the game had Luke Appling and Lou Boudreaux, commanding short for the Chicago White Sox and Cleveland Indians. Appling played his entire 20-year career on the south side of Chicago, where he collected over 2,700 hits and two AL batting titles, but unfortunately never cracked the postseason. His team never even won over 80-plus games. But Boudreau, on the other hand, experienced for baseball winning the Cleveland Indians to a World Series championship over the Boston Braves in 1948 as player-manager. That season, Boudreau took home the AL MVP after 199 hits, 18 bombs, 160 runs driven in, and he hit 355 with a 10.4 war. The thing is, he didn't win the batting title that year, and many people will argue that he shouldn't have won that MVP because, you know, Mickey Mantle or uh, Joe DiMaggio and uh, uh, Ted Williams had just fantastic seasons. But on the other hand, he was the reason that the, at the time, the Indians were so dominant that year and they won the pennant and they were able to go to the world series and they beat the Boston Braves in six games. So he did lead the league in war. He was the most valuable player in any team that year, take him off the uh, Indians. What are the Indians that year? So I agree with the pick while he will, will disagree with me. And a lot of people also would disagree with the pick that Major Baseball had at the time. Now in the 1950s, Ernie Banks kind of changed the vision as it was today. He was the first power threat. I know he spent most of his time as a first baseman because he played more games there, but he did win back-to-back M.V.P.s back in 1958 and 59. He became the first African-American player to do so. Uh, Mr. Cub, as he's called, and he has a statue out there at Wrigley Field. I believe he does. Yep, Mr. Cub Ernie Banks other a statue at Wrigley Field, uh, and deservingly he does. He hit over, he hit six two hundred and sixty nine of his five hundred and twelve home runs at shortstop, with his total being the second most home runs by a Cub, only behind Sammy Sosa's four five hundred and forty five bombs, or home runs. Again, Ernie Banks passed away, I think a couple like eight or nine years ago. He was elected in the Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association of America back in the night, uh, he was inducted when he was alive. His teammate, Ron Sano, fortunately, wasn't, uh, which is just, I talked about that last episode. It just wasn't fair for Ron Sano. be inducted in the hall of fame when he's dead, but they inducted Ernie Banks. Likely because that Ron Sano really wasn't as dominant as uh, uh, Ernie Banks, but they did put up really great numbers during the career, great teammates. And they're both in the hall of fame, rightfully so. Now, in the 1970s to 1990s, you had some really great shortstops. You had Robin Yount and Ozzie Smith, both in the Midwest, playing for the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals, with each club supporting fine powder blue jerseys. Back in the 1980s, you had a lot of teams wearing powder blue. You had the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Expos, the Braves. There were so many teams wearing powder blue, uh, and it was fun. All the teams were wearing these powder blue jerseys, and, and even the Phillies were too. Now, Yao had 210 hits, 29 home runs, 114 RBIs, and he hit 331 to win the a- AL MVP back in 1982, where he led the Brewers to their first and to date only World Series appearance, where they faced Smith and the Cardinals, only to fall in seven games. The kid, is what they call them would take a, home a second MVP in 1989, but this time in center field to become the third player to have won the award at a different position. The other people who have done that, uh, MVP, baseball MVPs at different positions, where uh, Hank Greenberg did it with the Detroit Tigers, Sam Musial with the St. Louis Cardinals, Al Rodriguez was the most recent player who did it. He won the MVP at, short, at thir- shortstop in 2003, and in 05 and 07, he won the MVP at third base with the New York Yankees. Now, what we want to talk about he was a great hitter. Robin Yett was a great def- a defensive player, not a great offen- defender. He only had one gold glove, which was back in 1982 when he won his MVP. He did win a couple Silver Slugger awards. He only drove in 100 runs three times, but again, he was a really consistent hitter and he drove in a lot of runs. A really great player at two different positions. I understand why he's stuck to as a shortstop, even though he did win an MVP as a seven fielder. I think he played more games there, more successful, etc. Now, with Ozzie Smith, was nicknamed the wizard for his fantastic defensive plays and him doing flips out and when he went on the field, he was an amazing ball player over short at short over his 19 year career. He won 13 gold gloves, the most all time at the position. He had 239 total zone, total fielding runs above average at shortstop, man, that's a mouthful and a career 44.2 defensive board, which is the highest mark of all time. No one's even close. The closest is a shortstop on the, uh, on those great, great, on those, not great, but those bad uh, Baltimore Orioles teams back in the 19, 1980s of Mark Beringer or Mark Ballinger. Yeah, Mark Ballinger had those interesting, hit a really good career with those uh, Orioles teams. Wasn't really a good hitter. But he was a great defender. Now, going back to those two guys, Those two guys were kind of like the complete opposites. Like, one of them was a great hitter, one of them was a great fielder, one of them hit when they needed to, one of them didn't. But again, they were great players, and they were really fun to watch. I never got to watch them play live, but I know a lot of people who did. Now, going to the latter part of it, yes, Kyrauban Jr. did play in that part of a decade, but they were kind of the faces of that first decade. I mean, you could probably say the argument that they were a three-headed monster with shortstops from nineteen eighty to like 1990, 1993 because that's when they were all playing at the same time. Since Robinette retired in nineteen ninety three, and Sniff retired in nineteen ninety six, Ripken retired in two thousand one. The prime of their careers is in that middle. Ripken was another phenomenal shortstop from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety. Was the most durable and has a most utmost desire to play than anyone we've ever seen play the game of baseball. He played in the record of two thousand six hundred and thirty two consecutive games from May thirtieth, nineteen eighty two through September 19th, 1998, to become baseball's Iron Man. Ripken won the 1983 and 1991 ALMVPs, and he had a career 357 defensive war and hit 336 lifetime with a homer and eight RBIs in 28 postseason games. Ripken was a phenomenal player. He won a World Series back in 1983 with those amazing Baltimore Orioles squad that had his partner and Hall of Famer, uh, Eddie Murray, who I talked about a couple of episodes ago with the first baseman. Uh again, it's a bummer that he couldn't win another world series. But again, he put in some really good teams back in the late 90s. Just stumbled by the Yankees. Uh the kid in uh the kid in right field and game one of the ALCS. But again, that that Yankees team was probably better than them. 97, they just got stumbled by that right great tribe team in 97. And then they just didn't have enough pieces. You know, Alomar left to go to the Cleveland in 98, and they just didn't have the pieces, you know, it just was a bummer that they just couldn't keep it together. But yeah, I think Howard Prince probably top five shows up all the time. Maybe like I would probably i probably put him up there in like top two, top it's like for me, respectable for me would be like top three, but I wouldn't be surprised if you put him like one or two. Or two 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 or three would be respectable. Respectable. My bad, Alomar left in 99, but still, those are some really great teams that uh, Rivkin played on, really great players, played for David Johnson, a pretty good manager. Now, going on, uh, Coworkin Jr., during his age 35 season, which was 1996, Barry Larkin, the great Cincinnati shortstop who won the World who led his team to the NLCS the year prior, winning the NL MVP in the strike shortened season, which was 144 games. He was also five years removed from winning the, the Reds, their first world championships in 1976, which they haven't been back to since that same year. Now, Barry Larkin was a very interesting ball player. Yes, he wasn't a guy who was going to drive in a whole lot of runs, but did he always get on base? Was he very? was he was a very, very talented ball player up the middle. Uh, he was inducted into the baseball hall of fame back in 2011. He went to the University of Michigan. He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, so he was a local guy. He had over 2,340 hits. He had less than 100, less 200 RBIs, but the thing is, he didn't drive in hundred run, runs. What the plateau for shortstops was, I think, was like 1,028, I believe was the plateau. i got to go take a look. We will talk about that soon, but I just want to take a look at it, though. Yeah, it was 1,028 RBIs for the shortstops. He missed it by a bunch, but again, you got to look at the context. Like, what was this player good at? And like in my opinion, I think that Barry Larkin was not a home run hitter, and you have to analyze that in in context. Yes, he did win the MVP in 1995 with very like below numbers: 158 hits, 15 home runs, 66 RBIs. But he led the he had 51 steals that year. That is a lot of steals for a guy in a shortened season. Let's look at the voting that year in 1995. God damn, I mean, finished second, but his war was just atrocious, a 1.2 war. You can't give the MVP to a guy who had a 1-2-2 war, despite the fact that he led the lead in hits, RBIs and home runs, and slugging percentage. Yes, Greg Maddux had a heck of a season for the Braves in 1995, but I don't think it's right to give a guy who pitched, who won, who led the league in wins and had the lowest ERA, but I think they made the right call. I think it could have gone either way, but good job on their part for giving Larkin the MVP. Because he totally deserved it in 1998. Or my bad, 1995. Okay, again, now with that same year, Derek Jeter, he did debut in 1995, but his first full year was 1996 with those magical 1996 New York Yankees who went 92 and 70 and why not winning the 1996 World Series over the Atlanta Braves. So this is like Repkin starting to like decline. Like in 1996 was Repkin's fourth and final last 100 RBI year. And it came with our baseman to kind of, like, make it easier for him during the end of his career. Jeter kind of, sort of, he won four World Series and served five full years in the big leagues. And people, like, I'm not saying people didn't, like, overrate them that. I don't think people, like, overhyped him. I think it's because, like, he just played in New York and he had that, like, he did a tremendous job of handling that pressure. I can't think of any other guy that did such a great job of handling that New York pressure of being an athlete in the, one of the biggest markets in the whole entire country. And you're in front of 50,000 people at Yankee Stadium and play with all these great players, play for a Hall of Fame manager, play for another manager he won a World Series with, I mean, two World Series with, and you play with all these great players. Two legendary stadiums. One iconic radio broadcaster, or PA announcer, Bob Shepard. And you make some of the most iconic plays ever, but still, a lot of people think you're a little overrated, and including myself, because yes, I will not I will not say that you're not overrated offensively. You're an amazing offensive player. You were tremendous, Derek. You were, in my opinion, one of the most Prolific hitters I ever got to watch. Uh, in the clutch, you had 200 hits, 20 home runs, 61 home, 61 RBIs, and a 308 batting average in 158 playoff games. I mean, but is one he, but he's one of the worst defenders of all time, even if his flip play and gain in the 2001 ALDS and many jump throws, especially the one in the 1998 ALDS against the Cleveland Indians back. uh, but again, number two, as I call them, he had a career defensive war of a minus 90.4, a 165 minus defensive run saved, and a minus 186 total zone total fielding of runs above average. Anyone five low gloves? Well, Kyle Ripken won two. And again, as I already talked about, because of these things, I think that Derek Jeter is overrated as a ball player. While people think he's, like, top three shortstops of all time, I think he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But I think that you can't put him above Ripken. I know I might sound crazy like that because, yes, Ripken was great, but he did it on both sides of the ball. Yes, did did Jeter have his moments on defense? Yes, he did. did. Did we all... Jeter never won an MVP. He came close a couple of times. All I'm saying is, he will think that he's just just amazing player, and it's I think it's maybe 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 it's because of recency bias because a lot of people like watched watched a lot of these young guys watched Derek Jeter, but didn't watch Ripken. I never watched Ripken play. All I watch Ripken is on highlights or on old games when I watch. I never watched Ripken play in an actual game, so I have no say. But I think that like watching him play, looking at his defensive analytics and metrics. I feel like Jeter, my opinion, is slightly overrated. If he played his entire career in, say, Oakland Athletics or Kansas City or Miami or, say, any of those places, a small market team and did the same thing he did, he would be underrated because he would be like a Robin Out or Edgar Martinez, the guys who, like – but, again, he's a great player. He's sixth all-time in hits. I'm not going to take that away from him. I'm not going to take – the most playoff hits, the most playoff at bats. I'm not taking it away from him. I'm not, I'm just going to knock on him for his defensive abilities and the fact that he, you know, wasn't as great as even people thought he was. Before we go any further, I'm going to take a look at Derek Jeter's five gold glove winning seasons in 2004 to 2006 and 2009 to 2010. Uh, Derek Jeter did win those five gold gloves in 2000. Four his first year, he had a atrocious, atrocious defensive one. He had a negative 13 defensive run saved, a 987, I mean, a 981 uh, feeling percentage, not that bad, a five RTOT total range fielding, total zone fielding. But yeah, I feel like they value those awards, they value like the feeling percentage, which really you shouldn't value. And his range factor that year was his was, was not great, but it was like 4.46. His best was the next year. He really wasn't that great range-wise. The next year, he won the award in 2005. He had his worst defensive run save season of his entire career, a minus 27. But he did lead second in the American League in fielding percentage at 9.77, 9.79, and he only had a minus uh, 5 RTOT. But again, his range did go up, though. His range went up to 476, 4.76. Not that bad for a guy who was getting older and he was 31. The next year, in 2006, again, he shouldn't have won that award. Going in 2006, uh, the year it should have went to Alex Gonzalez of the Boston Red Sox. But again, he got robbed because Derek Jeter was having an MVP caliber season. And when a guy's having an MVP caliber season, what do they like to do? Give the guy the awards and stat pad them. I'm not saying they were stop patting them. I was just saying that because they thought he was going to win MVP, said, oh, let's just give him a gold glove, another gold glove. That year, he was nine runs, defensive runs better, but still in the minuses, minus 16. He dropped five-tenths of a percent in fielding percentage to 975. He got one better in a RTOT, but again, his range dipped a lot to 414 Shouldn't have won the award. Now, he had a little gap. He did really atrocious on defense back in 2007, so he wasn't going to win any gold gloves anytime soon. But then in 2008 and not, in 2009 and 10, he really made some great improvements in his fielding. He had two of his best defensive seasons of his career, having only 14 errors when he had uh, multiple seasons when he had 14 errors or more. He had 254 errors in his entire career. But he only had 14 errors in one, two seasons. And when he had 14 errors on multiple occasions, pretty impressive for Derek Jeter. Uh, in 2009, he had a 986 fielding percentage, the best, one of the best of his career. Uh, a minus one RTOT, offensive run state of a plus three. First time he had a plus three in his entire career. Didn't save that metric for him, though. His range was not great, a 3.90. But again, he still won the award. In 2010, his last Gold Glove win season, he had a 389... Wait, yeah. In 2009, he had a 386 fielding finish, but he had it even better. He had a 389 fielding percentage with a minus 9 RTOT and a defensive run saves of a minus 9. So he had minus... He minus... 13, not only did he minus three more, but he minus 12 more defensive run saves from that season to that. So it's not very good for Derek Jeter that season. And he, his uh, uh, his range dropped by 12 tenths of a point. So again, those are Derek Jeter's awards that he should not have won. Uh, but again, I'm not going to knock on the guy for defensively. I mean, they sometimes give awards to people that don't deserve them. So it's just weird that he has five gold gloves, but Kyle Ripken Jr. has two. And he's the 4th, greatest defensive war shortstop of all time. And he's the 4th, he's the 3rd greatest defensive war shortstop of all time. And he's the 4th greatest D-War player ever. But he only won 2 awards. So, now that we talked about Derek Jeter and the history of the shortstops and his goal gloves, let's examine the hours and as needed to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, first with war, which stands for wins above replacements. The average is sixty-four point seven, being met by eight of the previous eleven members meeting the mark. Wagner's one hundred thirty point eight war is the highest; he's the only guy who reached the century mark in war. While Feb Rizzuto's forty-two point two is the lowest of any MLB player inducted. Yes, I do understand that Rizzuto could have planned, com- compiled a higher war and more statistics if he didn't play in World War, if he didn't decide to serve in World War II and take four years out of his career to play in or to serve for our country. And he was an amazing player, won the 1950 MVP, rightfully deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, just as Joe Sewell does, just as Lou Boudreau does. Now, we're talking about the percentage of games played as shortstop. It sits at around 79%, with 16 of the 26 and trying, exceeding it. Regarding defense, shortstop's the hardest position. I mean, maybe not the hardest. I'm going to say probably, like, catcher, shortstop, Pitcher probably like I'm talking about like fielding like now pitcher is obviously one of the hardest positions. But I'm talking about like you're fielding your position. Catcher probably one shortstop's two. I mean, the D probably will disagree with me, but I'm gonna say the catcher is more important because you have to uh, uh, give a science to your uh, pitcher. You have to block balls in front of the plate, throw guys out. But again, shortstop's is so important. You're capturing the infield. But let's continue. Now, there's probably 10 greatest defenders at shortstop that have played defense better than anyone else at shortstop. You have Ozzy Smith, Mark Ballinger, Cal Epicum Jr., Joe Tinker, Luis Aparicio, Marinville, Omar Vescal, Paulie Wallace, Bill Dalhan, and Art Fletcher. They all have a D-War higher than 28.3. And they make up 10 of the top 12 on the career D-War list. Which is insane. What's even more insane is that these 10 10 shortstops, the elite defensive shortstops, combined an average of 33.1 defensive war. And have collected a total of 43 of the 129 gold gloves awarded at the position. There was one gold glove awarded in 1957. And from that point, there's been two. So one in each league. You do the math. 64 times 2 is 128, and you add the 1, 129. So there you go. Now, shortstops. Not only have they been great defensively, they've always been great at the bottom's box. But before we go defensively, let's look at the the Gold Glove Awards at, at shortstops. You have I Smith at 13, Omar Scott at 11, Luis Apricio had 9, Mark Ballinger had 8, Derek Jeter and Dave Katapjong both have five. Let's do it as memory. Then you have Tony Fernandez, Brandon Crawford, Algerian Simmons, Jimmy Rollins, and Alan Trammell all have four. So now let's move into the off the side of the ball for the catchers. So of all the 26 Hawking catchers, they average to the score a combined 1,211 1, runs and 2,272 hits, which is fifth, the latter part, is fifth among the positions. Four members have over 3,000 hits. Honus Wagner, Robin Yount, e. Kyber Kim Jr., and Jared Cheater. Where Cheater's 3,465 hits is the most by shortstop and is sixth on the all-time list. Now, with going into the four guys that have 3,000 hits, I know that there's another position that has more players in the Hall of Fame that have 3,000 hits. I believe it's an outfield position. I think it's left field. But they have four right now. But looking at this list, you see 32 guys on this list, from Pete Rose all the way to Roberto Clemente, who just has 3,000. Exactly. Got his 3,000 hit on a double um, on the last game he played in his entire career. What a story. Now, out of these 32 guys, 81% of them, have been inducted to Cooperstown. That's 26, that's 26 guys. Two, haven't been elected because they're tight Alex Rodriguez and Rafael Palmeiro. Rodriguez still on the ballot. He got on the ballot last year, or this just past year. I think he'll stay on for a little bit. I don't think his uh, his credibility and his uh, actions will earn him a spot in Cooperstown. Great ball player, but I don't think he deserves an election. Now, Palmeiro, on the other hand, probably won't get in anytime soon eventually be elected. Yes, Adrian Beltre and Suzuki, will be inducted. Suzuki last played in 2019. He'll be first in the ballot in 2025. But Beltre will be inducted. He played last in 2018. His first ballot will be in 2024. So I assume if things go okay, he'll be inducted then with a Ranger, a Sigma on his plaque. Unless he wants to have someone else on his plaque. Because, you know, they get to choose. One will never get in due to his betting on baseball. I'm talking about Pete Rose but I feel like he should be in. And then lastly, we have someone who's currently playing in his last season with his team that he started out with, Kyle albert who has over 3,000 hits, 600 home runs, 2,000 RBIs, and 2,000 runs. He will get in first bout Hall of Famer in 2028. Whenever that is, he'll get in. Now, in regards to extra base hits, we should have averaged 386 doubles and 500 and 100, my bad, 151 home runs, and good for 6th and 8th out of all the positions. Wagner collected the most two baggers with 643, which is 10th on the all-time list, and Ernie Banks' has 512 home runs that he collected as in his entire career is the most put up by a Hall of Fame shortstop. Shortstops have the second lowest average of RBIs of only 1,028, with catchers the home having the having Fewer than them, but it doesn't mean that there haven't been any run producers at the position, because the Flying Dutchman drove in the most with over one thousand seven hundred and thirty-two runs, with Ripken and Banks had one thousand six hundred fifty-nine. I mean Banks had, Ripken had one thousand six hundred and ninety-five, and Banks had one thousand six hundred and thirty-six respectively. With the Ironman only having four 100 RBI seasons, which makes it even more impressive how he got to that high RBI count, large in part to his consecutive game streak. Looking at runs, hits, home runs, and RBIs, only four shortstops have amassed 1,600 runs, 3,000 hits, 200 home runs, and 1,300 RBIs, robbing out Kyra Oaken Jr., Derek Cheeter, and Alex Rodriguez. So these 4 shortstops are arguably the greatest to ever hold a bat. A-Rod leads the group in runs, home runs, and RBIs, with 2,021, 696, and 2,086, respectively. He might be one of the greatest players ever to not be in the Hall of Fame because of what he did. While Jared Jeter collected the most hits, as I stated, with 3,465 of them. Let's discuss the average slash line, OPS, and OPS plus of the average Hall of Fame shortstop. The slash line is a 291 batting average, a 360 on on-base percentage, a 411 slugging percentage, for a .711 OPS, and a 111 OPS plus, which all rank dead last out of all positions. Out of the 26 Hall of Famers at short, a lone player each reached the on-base percentage mark, the slugging mark, the batting average, and slugging percentage mark, and the on-base percentage and OPS plus marks. Most players are Pee-wee Reese, Alan Trammell, Travis Jackson, and George Davis. Ernie Banks, Robin Yount, and Coward Rippon Jr. reaches the average slugging percentage, OPS, and OPS plus marks, while Huey Jennings and Luke Appling reached the batting average, on-base percentage, OPS, and OPS plus marks. Eight reached the slash line and OPS plus marks, which contains Honus Wagner, Joe Cronin, Lou Boudreau, John Henry Lloyd, Archie Valhan, Louie Wells, Barry Larkin, and Derek Jeter. Joe Tinker, Rabbit Maryville, Bobby Wallace, John Ward, Dave Bancroft, Luis Aparicio, Phil Rizzuto, and Ozzy Smith didn't reach any of his eight categories. doesn't mean that these eight players aren't great at all. They were all great players. It's just they were not like electric with the bat. And that's not saying they weren't great. They were great singles hitters. They were great contact hitters. But you asked them to hit a home run, they weren't going to hit a home run for you. Like they were pro- the changes of them hitting a run were pretty slim. Ozzie Smith only hit 28 home runs his entire career. Uh shield only hit, like, 80. So, like, we're not going to, like, say, that like, hey, the game was different back then. The game will always change. So, don't knock on a guy, specifically these guys I mentioned, the eight I mentioned, Tinker, Ma- Marinville, Wallace, Ward, Bancroft, Aparicio, Frizzuto, and Smith. Those guys were all legendary players in their own right. Whether they were home run hitters or not. They fielded their position, great. They were amazing hitters. Not power hitters, but they were great contact guys. Great guys, you know, they might not be great getting on base, but who cares? They were great defenders, great hitters. Focus on what they were good at, not what they were not good at. Now, of these 18 of a 16, 20 of 18 of a 26 Hall of Fame shortstops were placed in the one of these categories. The elite, I mean, there's probably a conversation, but the elites might be the ones that are gonna be in the uh the who reach the slash line and the OPS plus marks. I'm not saying that they could be just in that category because eight of them were in there. They could be in the last four. Slugging percentage, OPS and OPS plus marks. Batting average, on-base percentage, OPS and OPS plus marks. And the batting average, on-base percentage, slug and OPS marks. I feel like if you're in those four, you're elite. You're like top of the crop. But I feel like the farther you are to the right, the more like things you have, the more better you are. In my humble opinion. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say that like, like that like how that like a player is better than them just because they're on this list that doesn't mean anything all i'm saying is they were better at slugging and hitting and getting on base and producing and driving and runs that's literally all this measures it doesn't measure how great are was a player that's basically what the analytics tells me and the metrics tells me what i think and that's why I create these graphs because it helps me determine which shortstops were better than the others in comparison to other Hall of Famers. Again, I'm not going to go up here and tell you that this is why I think these guys are better. No, I look at the whole entire picture. I look at were they a great ball? Bu- were they uh a great defender? Were they a good hitter? Were they good in the clutch? Were they playing a lot of good teams? Did they have team success? That's what I look at. I don't think I've said that yet, but that's what I look at when I'm looking at these guys and I'm seeing like, okay, well, if they only meet like one of these benchmarks, I might not put them in a higher category as the other guys. Or if they only meet one category, but it's a really like odd one. It's like an outlier. It's like, oh, they reached a base percentage, but they didn't reach any of the other categories because their other metrics weren't that great. I digress, but let's move into my kind of like overview of the shortstop position. Now again shortstop will forever be known as the captain of the infield as evident by 8 of the top 10 career D-war players who played at the position. And then it turned into a power hitting one. Justin return with Ernie Banks and now with the guys like Carlos Correa, Fernando Tatis Jr and guys we'll be watching for years to come. But again over the past 76 years 16 players have compiled 42 20 home run, 100 RBI seasons, with Alfred Rodriguez having the most with seven, which occurred in 1996 and again in 1998, 2003. And nine individuals are tied with a lone season reaching those marks. Of those such seasons, five have happened in the past decade: Javier Baez (2018), Daniel Bogarts (2018, 2019), Trevor Story (2018), and Bo Bichette just this past year in 2021. The game is loaded with young shortstop talent, and I am excited to watch their careers unfold and where they might, and some might end up in Cooperstown. We'll have to wait and see on that. But, you know, it's really exciting. Shortstops are some of the best players in baseball. Again, you got Fernando Tatis, you got Bo Bichette, you got Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Lindor. The list goes on and on. Like, these guys are amazing. Like, the talent we have at shortstop is just insane, man. Like, the talent we have... It's nuts through the roof talent, man. And I can't wait for it to continue. I mean, we move by with junior. who's not even playing a shortstop right now, but show up through the roof. I mean, previously we had Jeter. I mean, we had some Jose Reyes, but right now, I think right now we can probably make the argument that this is the best young shortstops we've had in a while. But the question people are going to be talking about is will Fernando Tatis stay healthy? The thing is, is he's not been able to stay healthy. He's a great player when healthy. Is, was Correa worth the money? Was Baez worth the money? Everyone talks about that. Baez is a great player. Strikes out a ton, though. The Tigers are... No, the, t- everyone knows that. Everyone knows what the Twins were doing when they signed Correa. Everyone knows that the Tigers signed it. It's because they wanted a franchise player. Corey Seager went to the Rangers because he wanted to be a franchise player because he knew that he wasn't going to hold out of playing time because Trey Turner was going to be second baseman. He didn't want Trey Turner to play second base, so he made him be a shortstop. I understand the move. And there's a lot of great shortstop talent in the game right now. And you have Jazz Chisholm. I forgot about him too. Like, you mean when you know your shortstop talent is so good is when you forget people who are like so good and relevant. That's how you know. But, yeah, I mean, I thought I'd to rank. I don't think I could even rank these guys right now. They're all so good. Um, but it's just incredible that the game has so many great young shortstops from different backgrounds, different places in the country. Like, again, you got Jose, you got uh, Baez and Lindor from the, uh, Puerto Rico, you got Tatish from, I believe, the Dominican. Chaz is from somewhere. I know that for sure. Of course, is an American. Korea is definitely from somewhere. Uh, I'm gonna figure this out, find this out for you guys. Guess his name is from the Bahamas. Again, this diversity we have in baseball. What makes it so special is the, is the diversity. That's called the World Series. Carey from Puerto Rico, too. So you got three guys from Puerto Rico, as I mentioned. Corey Seager is the only American uh, that I did say. But yeah, I mean, and so is Boba Shot. Boba also an American. But yeah, like I, I might want to rank the best ones today because there's a lot of great ones. There, there really is, and I'm again, as I said it earlier, I'm really excited for these shortstops. It's the best we've seen, and I'm blessed to be able to to, to 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 watch them in their primes. And I forgot about Trey Turner too. Trey Turner's a shortstop too. That's like I think I was just to be close to ten guys. There are so many shorts stuff. And Wander Franco. Probably Whit, I think I listed close to 11 guys. When you can list over 10 guys as a, in a position, it's stacked right now. It is absolutely stacked. I mean, I, and I even forgot Brandon Crawford. I forgot about Tim Anderson. Simmons. There's probably 14 guys I mentioned. And according to some people on MLB, they put Fernando Tatis at the top. You know, I don't like that move, you know. The reason why, he's hurt. Some people put Trey Turner 2. I respect that. Correa 3. Iris, he's a good player. Silver Slugger, Gold Glove Award winner, Platinum. Bogarts, great player. Jersey would be four. Corey Seager's going to be five. I agree. But again, this is someone else's list. So my list would be probably... Uh, it's so hard. You know, it is, it's really hard to do a list because... I mean, I would probably put it's so hard to rank shortstops because they're just all so good. I mean, I would probably put Correa. Correa had an amazing year last year with the Astros. Signed with the Twins. Big deal. Got to be number one. Okay. I think That Xander Bogarts is a little underrated. I think... Uh, I'm going to go Trey Turner, too. It's got to be, two. Trey Turner is arguably the most tough out in baseball. When he hits a ball to be shortstop on, like, not a hard ball, you have to literally throw it right when you got it, because he'll get there. Uh, he had a high OPS at shortstop at 146. I wonder what series of the Nationals now is the Dodgers stack team. I agree with three with Seager, but I might flip-flop him with Bogarts. Bogarts is more established. I think Bogarts has three on my list. I don't know if we'll say in Boston, but he's got to be three. He's had a cr- two career years. He won a silver strike last year. He didn't have, like, 100 RBIs he did in 2019 and 2018, but he's still a prolific offensive player with the Boston Red Sox. Three Four is going to be Corey Seager. Of course, Seager, again, his played with the Dodgers. Want to sign a big contract. He teams up with Marcus Simeon in Texas. He and him, they were playing the Angels today. They, I mean, I mean, I don't know why, but I just, the Angels or the Rangers are going to be struggling this year. But they're going to have two-star players to get them more tickets in that big stadium. So it's a win-win. Five, I agree with. Tatis being high in the middle. I'm glad that this person and Odyssey, and again, in my list, it's been the same thing. Tatis has to be five because he was hurt last year. He had a great war. He hit over 40 home runs, drove in 97 runs, but it had, but again, he's hurt. He's missing part of the year, and they just lost some of their key players. So it's kind of they really need him there. So unfortunately, he's not there. Five. Lindor on this Odyssey list too high. For me, I'm gonna put Lindor in the bottom of the tier. Windows is a great player. I just think he's a little over. He's a great defender. He's better defender than most short steps in the game of baseball. But from watching him play in Cleveland, he was an amazing player. Maybe like the top three shortstop in baseball at the time. They could probably argue top two. Uh, but when he went to New York in 2021, I kind of noticed he was struggling with playing in the bright lights in New York City. And again, that's what Jeter was so known for. He, on the other hand, was not. I feel that he can do it. Will he have a better year? He better have a better bounce back year. I think Bichette is six. He had a great year last year. Did he strike out a lot? Yes. Did he make a lot of errors? Yes. Is he still young? Yes. He will have a bounce back year. Yeah, Bichette's going to have a good year this year. And the next three guys on my list... So yeah, he's he's sixth, and then I got Lindor seventh. Now I don't like how Odyssey put their Franco eight. He had a really great year, but does he deserve to be number eight on this list? When two guys below him, yes, Brandon Crawford has been a great player for the last half decade, and. Tim Anderson has been an amazing contact hitter for the Chicago White Sox for a little over four or five years now. And I think think I'll put Wander 10, and I'll probably put Crawford 8 and Anderson 8, Anderson 9. So the reason why I'll put Crawford 9. Crawford had an amazing year, a bounce-back year, over 90 RBIs. He had 24 home runs, 15 outs above average, a 5.5 f WAR. He had 456 walks, a 895 OPS, which is a good OPS. It's above average. It's good OPS. He's 85. I mean, he's not 85. My gosh, if he was 85, he would be really old playing baseball. He's 35. He had 298 with a 373 on base percentage, a 522 slugging percentage, which is a great slugging percentage. Now, with my ninth place guy, I have to put Tim Anderson. Yes, he only had 17 home runs. He only had 61 RBIs. But the man knows how to get on. The man strikes out a lot. He won a batting title in 2019 by striking out a whole bunch of times. or not. He never He never walked either. He doesn't walk. He had a 4.3 F4. He hit over 300 again for the last couple of years. I expect him to do it again. He's the catalyst of that White Sox team. Even though Brayu's been the best player over the last couple of years. I feel that he is what makes the White Sox go, and Hill's number nine on my list. Ten is going to be Juan Franco. I know if want to put him higher, but I feel that Juan Franco had that great run with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays at the end of the year. He got called up late. He's a great player, a wonderful talent. Will uh, really he be a great player? He he should be. He deserves to get deserves to get that contract away. Maybe, but we'll have to wait and see. Obviously. But yeah, that's my list. Uh, again, really looking forward to these shorts that's playing out this year. I'm looking forward to going to my first game tomorrow, first game today. And I hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy your Easter weekend, whoever whoever celebrates. And uh hope to see you guys at the ballpark.